Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In this episode, I'm really excited to talk to you about the image of Nebuchadnezzar. I touched on this at the end of the last episode, but the time was not enough to really delve into this massive and amazing topic. What we did see, however, is that the statue, particularly because it is composed of different metals of different value, that in addition to the clear explanation of the prophecy given in the Bible itself as a uh, depiction of kingdoms that would come in succession of time, that this statue also represents those kingdoms in the form of monetary value, starting with gold at the head, the most valuable, and then uh, following after with silver in the arms and bronze in the thighs and iron in the legs, that this decreasing order of value of the metals represents the decreasing monetary worth of kingdoms through the progression of time. And this is an observation that builds on the clear explanation given directly to Daniel and explained in the book of Daniel itself, which is that these king, the, these, uh, this image represents a succession of kingdoms. So I want to emphasize that the point here is not to redefine anything that is already established biblical truth, uh, but to connect it to the emergence of Bitcoin and to explain how Bitcoin is related to this prophecy. Now, uh, we mentioned also that the stone cut out without hands, which struck the image on the feet, is a symbol for Christ, the rock, okay, but uh, also for his kingdom, which is also uh, explained very clearly in the Bible itself, where Daniel interprets the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and explains that this stone, which grew into a mountain and had the effect of destroying all the parts of the image and making them turn into nothing uh, and blow away in the summer wind like chaff. Okay, so as a representation of his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, this stone, which grows into a mountain, can be also understood in financial terms. And we're going to explore how Bitcoin corresponds to that. And right at the get-go here, I want to emphasize or uh, just state clearly that uh, my intention here is just to discuss these subjects and to make comparisons and not to introduce new doctrine, okay? I'm just speaking and putting ideas out there that I would like your feedback on. 
And I think in this particular topic, it's very important to sort of understand the whole context. Now, when God gave this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was a secular king. Okay, he was not a worshiper of God. And so we have to understand or or appreciate the fact that God wanted to communicate something big here for this to have happened the way that it did. Why was that? And why did God choose Nebuchadnezzar to give this dream to? Now, we have this dream only because Daniel, who was a worshiper of God, a prophet of God, because Daniel intervened in this situation, and he prayed earnestly to understand what the king had dreamt and what it meant, so that he could uh, intervene to save the lives of many people in the kingdom, uh, in particular, uh, including he and his three friends. And God saw fit to give the dream and its explanation to Daniel as well, And from that, we have uh, this amazing prophecy. Now, why did God choose Nebuchadnezzar? Well, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, which was, in essence, the whole world. And right here, we already begin to see the relevance of this story to the present day, because we are living in a time where the world is again dominated uh, by a single kingdom. And that's not to uh, deny the fact that we have multiple nations around the world, but it's to draw attention to the fact that there is a unifying force overarching the nations, uh, which is the United Nations Organization and uh, the World Health Organization and the World Bank's organization. So um, these are structures that bring the nations together under a central form of governance. And this is very much like the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon itself reigned over the world, the then known world, but there were still, especially in that time when communication was slow and transportation was slow, there were many different cultures in each location of the world, and Babylon unified those and reigned over those, but did not take away their individuality or their their local culture. Okay, and that's much like how the world is united today under these umbrella organizations, but yet every nation still retains a semblance of sovereignty and its own customs, its own currencies, its own laws. So it's a very fitting parallel to compare Babylon of the in the time of Daniel to the world as it is today. So now Babylon though has its origins much farther back and it's important to understand its origins because that gives additional clues that have relevance to the time we live in today. Now Babylon as many know the the, the name itself 
refers to confusion, the, this concept of confusion. And that comes back or, or goes back all the way to the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, that story uh, can be found in chapter 10 of the book of Genesis. And this is a chapter that's basically uh, giving a genealogy, but it's interrupted by this additional information pertaining to a man by the name of Nimrod. And it says that Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, this refers to his his uh, position as a ruler, that he was the first one to rule over other people and to build a city, which is how he ruled, okay? He provided security through the city that he built, and he ruled over that city and others. Now, uh, the Bible refers to his uh, realm as a kingdom, and it says that it began with Babel, that he built Babel and in the land of Shinar. And interestingly, um, it says, out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh. So it's important to recognize these connections because Nineveh is also connected to Babylon in the sort of uh, biblical meaning, okay? Because it came out of that land as well. And so that, of course, uh, brings us to the story of Jonah, and the threatened destruction of the city of Nineveh. Okay, now, these are really big, important Bible stories that, I mean, I remember even as a child uh, hearing these stories. And many of us who grew up in a church-going family have learned these stories from childhood. And it's just amazing, I think, to see how relevant these important biblical stories are to the day we live in. But let's dig into that a little bit more, because this city Babel that Nimrod built has a story behind it, which comes up in the next chapter, 11 of the book of Genesis. And it speaks there. This will just blow your mind. Okay. It says that Okay, I'm just going to read this, okay, and then we will uh, be able to comment on it more fully. It says in chapter 11 of Genesis, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. All right, so here they had uh, brick and mortar to build. Uh, and this is where the Masons come from, the secret society. It traces its roots back to Babel, okay? And uh, let's see what these uh, original Masons were going to do. It says in verse 4 now, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. All right. So their intention was to avoid being scattered. Okay. And they wanted to reach heaven. Okay. Now, there's a reason behind this. Anybody in their right mind, uh, any intelligent person would know that 
um, no matter how high you build, you'll never quite be able to reach uh, heaven, reach, uh, you know, as a child, uh, no matter how high you jump, you can never touch the sky, right? And, uh, you know, as a pilot, no matter how high you fly, you can never fly higher than the sky. And, you know, as an astronaut, no matter how far you fly into space, you can never touch the end of it. You know, the heavens are infinite. And so for intelligent, obviously intelligent men here to set out to build a tower that reaches to heaven has a meaning that's um, maybe not explicitly stated in the Bible, but it's very significant. And that's that these people had just, uh, you know, not many generations ago, had come from the flood, okay, where the entire world population, except for eight people, was destroyed. And it happened because, as the Bible uh, explains it, that the heavens were opened and rain came down. Okay, so the masons here that were building the Tower of Babel, they were interested in reaching to the heavens, not to accomplish the impossible, but to expand their knowledge and their understanding of the way that rain falls from the sky. They, in a sense, they were environmentalists, and they wanted to stop natural disaster from destroying the world again. So therefore, they built the tower. Now, if you were protecting yourself against a flood, it's also a bit... Mm, presumptuous to think that a building could actually withstand the forces of a flood, uh, at least of the proportions that would destroy the, the world. Okay, and so again, the motive of these obviously intelligent people was not to uh, literally build a tower uh, so high uh, as to protect them from the uh, floodwaters, although, you know, that might be a side benefit or a provision within the, the, the manner of construction as well. But, but the main driving force here was they were environmentalists in a sense uh, that they wanted to ensure that there wouldn't be another worldwide flood. And uh, they wanted to learn as much as they could about the sky uh, build as high as they could and and ultimately um, find a way to survive and protect uh, society against a uh, natural disaster of that nature ever happening again. So the you know the flood is a type for the end of the world. Um, you know God destroyed the world once by water. And uh, in the New Testament, it says that God will again destroy the world by fire. And so, although it's, it's a good thing to care for the environment and to, especially as society has grown and has um, demonstrated its capability to impact the environment in, in negative ways, it's very important that we do pay attention to the uh, to nature and take care of it as the gift that it is that God has given to mankind 
and made mankind stewards of. So in speaking about sort of the environmentalist agenda here, um, it's important to understand that there is a God-given responsibility to take care of nature, but at the same time, uh, we need to do it in the fear of God. And the way that the, the unified world power structures are organized and, in a sense, or actually quite literally dictating how to care for the planet, this is, um, well, shall we say, it's not doing it according to God's design, but according to man's design, much like how the Tower of Babel was designed to prevent the end of the world, but not by turning to God and seeking his ways, but by uh, sort of belligerently and defiantly saying, we can do it on our own. You know, we can change the climate on our own. We can build our own Tower of Babel that will protect us from uh, from this, uh, you know, this horrible God that uh, already destroyed the world once. Okay, so this is the point, is that, you know, there's no question that man needs to take care of nature, but the question is on the manner in which that is pursued. Okay, now in verse 6 here, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So it's an interesting dialogue or story here, a conversation that is sort of, it reveals some insight into the, into God and his ways and um, how he views the things of man. And again, this fits to today's scenario to a T. Okay, so first of all, uh, this podcast is about how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Christ. And here it says that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the children of men builded. So this story alludes to the coming of Christ. All right. But it's interesting what the Lord observed and what he did in response. It says that he recognized their unity, their coming together for the sake of power. Now, when you get people under one commander, so to speak, then there's an incredible amount of power that can be exercised in that way. And this is recognized in the voice where it says that the people is one and they have one language. And look what they're beginning to do, build this tower. So God's response to that comes in verse 7, where it says, Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. So this is fascinating, because God's answer to the centralization of power was distribution. God scattered the people. And in this manner, he prevented the centralization of power, and they stopped building the city. 
Okay. So coming, bringing that to today, isn't it amazing how relevant that is that we have a centralization of power in the world through uh, all these um, sort of world organizations. And through those organizations, we have this agenda, this environmentalist agenda that is being used sort of as a vehicle, as a motivation to, um, to ultimately to motivate people to build this centralized power structure, this modern Tower of Babel. Okay, and the answer to that that's explained here in Genesis 11 that comes from God that, that is connected to the coming of Jesus is decentralization. And isn't that what Bitcoin brings? It brings decentralization to the people of the world. And wow, I just think that's amazing how this story really speaks to the times that we live in. So, um, yeah, you know, and, and again, uh, let me just take a, a moment here to uh, reiterate it's not my intention to um, sort of lay out new doctrine or something, um, but I just want to discuss these things and to put ideas out there and to seek your feedback. You know, what do you think about this? Do you see how there's a parallel here uh, between the story of the Tower of Babel and what's actually playing out in real life right now uh, in the world around us? Or am I just seeing things, you know? So let me know about that. Um, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on that. And do you think that the Bible, um, in particular in its prophetic uh, books, like uh, the book of Daniel, which we're going to get back into now, um, do you think that the Bible actually speaks about Bitcoin in a prophetic sense, in a symbolic sense? Or do you think this is all just eh, just seeing things here? Well, let's go back to Daniel and uh, to Daniel chapter 2 and see now um, how the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, which grew out of this story of the Tower of Babel, how it also relates and what it might tell us about the present time. So uh, back to Daniel chapter 2. And I guess this would also be a good point to sort of, uh, you know, mention that as you can see, obviously, I enjoy the Old Testament very much. And a lot of, um, you know, um, well, yeah, let me just say it. A lot of Christians today focus a lot on the New Testament. And obviously, there's good reasons for that. But uh, sometimes it's to the exclusion of the Old Testament. And that's something that I don't personally agree with. I believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament should be studied together, just like actually we mentioned in the last episode how the Bereans did. They compared the new things that they were learning, which was what to us now is the New Testament. Um, they compared that with the Old Testament that they already had. And, uh, you know, we should continue that trend. And uh, in the same vein, we should look at the new things that are developing in the world, especially in, uh, in, in the spiritual realm, and compare that to what we already know as truth as Christians from the Old and New Testament combined. We will, uh, we will come to the New Testament as well. And in particular, the book of Daniel it's a book that should be studied together with the book of Revelation. And some 
keys uh, that are found in Daniel unlock the things that are mentioned in Revelation. And likewise, by studying Revelation, we can understand uh, more about uh, how the book of Daniel ultimately comes to fulfillment. And so it's, yeah, this is just great stuff. And uh, I get excited about this. And uh, so let's get into this. Um, so I'm going to jump right in at verse 36, which is, uh, um, which is where Daniel begins to explain the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. So remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, but Babylon ruled over all the other kingdoms of the world. And so this is just again to reiterate the fact that it parallels the way that the world is organized today. We have these world governing bodies that reign over the kingdoms of the world. So just because we have 193 some odd nations in the world does not mean that we don't have a system like Babylon that actually unifies and reigns over all of those kingdoms. We do. And uh, that's uh, explained here in this verse, how that was in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, we can see that again today. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And that is also a nice uh, sort of way to describe the world today. Partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Now, I want to pause on this verse because there's an important point here that is perhaps easily overlooked, but highly significant. And it speaks here of mingling with the seed of men. Now, a lot of people have studied this and explained it in excellent ways and again, it's not my intention to change any existing understanding, but just to put new thoughts out there and kind of a new view on uh, what these things could mean in sort of the present day and to give us insight into how perhaps we should live our lives today. So it speaks of mingling of the seed of men. 
Now, this verse has been explained in the past by many other scholars and students of the Bible who have uh, described that in the time of more or less modern times that kings have uh, intermingled. You know, you can see this in the, in the royal families of all of Europe, um, how the kings have intermarried and mingled their seed, so to speak, um, just as the verse says. Now, not to deny that interpretation, but to uh, sort of build on it and kind of learn from that and, and apply it to our present day. There's another kind of mingling of the seed that is happening just in the last couple of years. And um, if you think about it, the seed of man is basically, well, okay, you can, you can consider it the sperm and the egg. Well, quite literally, it's the sperm, okay? But even at a more sort of fundamental level, it's, you know, every seed, the, the, the thing about seeds is that any kind of seed that you plant, it always produces a plant of a particular type. In other words, the nature of the plant or animal, the, the, the nature of the thing is contained in the seed. The seed contains all the instructions to define what the thing actually is. And by the way, this flies in the face of modern ideologies surrounding gender, neutrality, equivalence, you know, all these things. It's the Y chromosome, the presence or absence of the Y chromosome that determines whether an individual will be male or female. And that comes from the seed, from the sperm, just as any other seed of a plant contains the instructions for the development of that particular type of plant. And so when we talk about the seed, it's not so much about the literal seed, what is the seed, but about the DNA, the instructions, the code that defines what the life form is going to be. And that has been mingled in just the last few years with the introduction of DNA vaccines. Now, this is a subject that is perhaps very controversial, but I just want to, I'm not going to get into that in detail, but because that's covered elsewhere, but I just want to point out the fact that this verse, speaking of the mingling of the seed in the time of the feet of the image, uh, where there was the mixture of clay and iron, that this again points to modern times, particularly the, the, the really recent years, okay, since the introduction of, uh, well, I guess more broadly, the, uh, the, the study of uh, genetics, and but, but specifically in taking that step, that step uh, which is sort of an ethical question of modifying human genes, okay? And so to be clear, um, you know, this can be done in a couple of different ways, um, there's one concept uh, you hear about, like, you know, designer babies, you know, where the genes are modified or manipulated in the early stages of development so that uh, it actually affects the entire growth and life of the organism. And believe it or not, this is something that the WEF, the WEF, 
World Economic Forum actually supports and promotes. I just recently read an article about that. They ultimately want to ban natural birth so that the genes of babies can be modified in vitro to ostensibly prevent both physical and mental maladies. In other words, yeah, they want to correct what you believe. It's just insane. Um, but there's also this uh, technique of injecting your body with genetic substances, with um, basically instructions, uh, genetic instructions, that then uh, tell your body what to do. Uh, at the cellular level. And this is how the, the COVID-19 vaccines work. Um, they, uh, many of them, most of them, at least the new ones that are based on DNA or mRNA technology. Okay, they actually introduce genetic instructions into the body for the purpose of changing the behavior of the cells and making them, um, well, ostensibly making them combat the disease that um, is uh, purportedly afflicting, (laughs) you know, mankind. Okay, so this is very relevant, I think, to the present times in that the book of Daniel cites mingling of seed, mixing or corrupting the seed of man at the time that uh, this dream meets its uh, fulfillment. Um, when the stone strikes the feet of the image in, in the time when this mingling is taking place. And this is also very important, I think, because it ties back to what we uh, learned from the story of Babel, which is the, the connection to environmentalism. So on the one hand, governments are promoting care for the environment, uh, which in itself in in the in the sense of what the, the words literally mean to care for the environment it's a good thing but the irony of it is that governments are exactly doing the contrary by um, mixing the dna of um, whether it be plants in the food that ultimately ends up on the table or whether it be in the bodies of people themselves this um, sort of interference with the operation of the DNA is something that's being done in a way that is not respecting creation as it came from the hand of God and as he designed it to operate. In the sort of uh, cypherpunk movement, there's this mantra, code is law. And if you think of that in, the, in terms of genetics, the genetic code is the law of nature. And when man goes in and starts altering the code of nature, that's interfering on holy ground. That is the sacred law of God that is being changed by man. And that's something that the book of Daniel speaks about very much as well. And there's actually a psalm that speaks about that. Let me find that. Yeah, here it is. It's Psalm 119, verse 126. It says, It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. So if Bitcoin has come on the scene right at the time when this is happening, 
as the decentralized solution to what the centralized powers like the WEF are actually trying to accomplish in changing the law of God in the human body. Don't you think that's evidence that Bitcoin is a means for God to intervene? Uh, as the Bible says, it is time for thee, Lord, to work. I think so. You know, even in the realm of uh, medicine, it's, well, I, I didn't really anticipate going into all these uh, subjects here, but um, it, it, you see how it, it flows from the verses that we're reading. And so it's related. It's, it's very related. But um, in the uh, sort of medical industry, in the pharmaceutical industry more so, uh, or more specifically, um, there's this, this um, well, you can find it's out there um, that many people understand that illness and the way that it is treated in our existing medical system is not really the right way. Basically, you know, a person has a problem with their health and they go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't really understand the problem, but he prescribes a pill or a drug or what in whatever form that will attempt to bring relief for the symptoms uh, that presented. But this approach of not addressing the root cause is very flawed. And it's actually the, the financial incentives of, of the system that sort of push or have pushed the medical uh, industry into the wrong direction here. So, you know, basically, I mean, it's the drug manufacturers that uh, are standing to make a lot of money off of selling their drugs. And uh, they in various ways, incentivize doctors to prescribe their drugs. You know, they also uh, incentivize lawmakers to give them immunity against, um, you know, complaints against side effects of their drugs and things like that. And um, so this has sort of promoted a really, well, bad system that uh, we have today. Um, and that's not to say everything is bad or that you should never go to the doctor or something like that. Um, the point is not to go to extremes here, but to recognize that the direction that the medical establishment has taken and the, the pharmaceutical industry has pushed it in is not really the right way. You know, God designed the body and the DNA uh, in particular to respond to changing circumstances in the human body. And uh, illness is just a, you know, symptoms are just an indicator that something's wrong. Something's not operating the way that it should and the way that uh, the body was intended to operate on, operate. And that could be resulting from many different factors, many of which are lifestyle choices, whether it be something as simple as eating foods that cause poor health. You know, rather than, um, you know, seeking a drug that will address a symptom that is the result of eating the wrong foods, uh, wouldn't it be much more sensible to simply eat the right foods 
and avoid getting the health problem in the first place and needing the doctor to prescribe something that is not really addressing the root cause. Um, and that's just uh, a silly example. Um, the world is full of junk food, and uh, that's something we are, we are all confronted with on a daily basis, you know, choosing what to eat or what not to eat. And that is actually... Um, Wow. <laughs> yeah, we, this is really a wide-ranging topic here. Um, again, the centralization of government and, you know, global governance is something that really, it's sort of a vicious cycle of one thing feeds into another. And uh, with, you know, big corporations like Monsanto really affecting, changing the way that food is produced, um, the way uh, the meat industry has been commercialized and 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 uh, you know made efficient um, has really had an effect, a negative effect on the quality of the food. You know when you when you put all the animals in a, in close quarters and and then they get diseased. You know and you feed them uh, food that is not uh, really the right kind of food for them and and you know or you inject them with who knows what because you want to increase their production in some form. You know, all these things are pushing in the wrong direction. This centralization is causing this vicious cycle that's making everything go the wrong way. And again, just as we learned from God himself, from his word, literally the Bible is recording what God said. He said that the solution to this is decentralization scattering the people in the sense of so that this centralization stops so that they leave off building this city and so bitcoin with its own set of financial incentives that are in contrast with the financial incentives of the world bitcoin offers that decentralization not offers it is intrinsic to bitcoin to have that decentralization and that is one of the most valuable characteristics of Bitcoin and what makes it powerful, okay? And as you could see in the story of the Tower of Babel, that scattering was powerful. It caused them to leave off building the city. So the solution to the global centralization of power that we see today is, in fact... Bitcoin and its decentralization. Okay, so, wow, that was a long sort of tangent, but I think it was important, and it kind of ties everything together. The environmentalism, genetics, the centralization, the food, the uh, this our, our sort of uh, whole approach to um, health and longevity. Um, and it's Everybody wants to have a good life, and and a big part of that is living a long time. Okay, and uh, you know, uh, Christians in particular are very much attuned to the the hope of eternal life. And um, but it's not just Christians; even people who disregard God are also seeking um, ultimately eternal life in some form, whether that's. Uh, renewal of uh, sort of the degrading uh, uh, 
of their physical bodies over time or whether it's uploading uh, your neural network of your brain into a computer system uh, that in the future would be uh, given, uh, you know, given a body, <laughs> a, a mechanical one. Uh, you know, these are these are things that are talked about openly in the world right now that, you know, basically the idea of eternal life is something that uh, at a certain level, everybody is seeking. Nobody wants to die, so to speak. But yet, many times, because of the incentives of the world, we actually make choices uh, on a daily basis that promote the death of our bodies. And, uh, you know, just the obvious uh, easy example of that is food. You know, by choosing to eat junk food every day, you're choosing death. Okay, whereas the solution to these things is to seek the ways of God. Okay, the world wants to offer you easy outs. Okay, it wants to offer you bailouts. Oh, you ate bad food and now you've got a little, uh, you know, some symptoms uh, that are bothering you. Ah, well, okay, here's an easy way out. Just take this pill and then you won't feel bad anymore. And uh, you can, doesn't matter what you what you eat, just keep eating what you like, you know. So that's the, the bailout, you know, cast in the uh, sort of context of health. Okay, uh, one aspect of it. And uh, but we can see that same sort of easy out mentality permeating the world in a in a very in a myriad of other ways, like uh, longevity. How do you uh, intend to obtain eternal life? Can you really do it on your own, or uh, is it something? Is it a gift that only God can give? And uh, would you be better off turning to Him and seeking His ways? You know. So, and then of course, the obvious topic in relation to Bitcoin, uh, where the easy out is uh, presented in the form of bailouts. Oh, you didn't manage your money properly? Uh, no problem. We'll just give you a loan or, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll bail you out. Okay. You know, that's the easy out mentality in the, in the realm of finances. And Bitcoin fights against that. And instead, it brings a system yeah, it, 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 the, the whole premise flies in the face of this bailout mentality. And uh, we can see from all these um, verses that we've read so far uh, how that aligns so much with God's tactic uh, ever since the Tower of Babel to uh, sort of decentralize uh, the uh, development of mankind so that centralization of power that is ultimately corrupt just by virtue of the fact that mankind is, well, you know, in Christian terminology, sinful, uh, that mankind falls short of God's ideal, okay, um, of, of, of the ideal of perfection, okay? And, uh, you know, God wants to bring mankind out of that. He wants to bring back what Adam and Eve had in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, where they could be in complete harmony with him and that they weren't sort of corrupted by, you know, the negative, um, all the things that uh, make 
that contribute to bad character. Okay, they they had good characters, and uh, everything they did and uh, enjoyed and experienced there was in the context of harmony with a perfect God, and that's what God wants to bring back. That's what salvation is all about, and Bitcoin works in conjunction with that. And that's one of the things that we will continue to explore in this podcast. But I want to get back now. I think we've <laughs> spent enough time on the tangents. Let's get back now to the uh, to the topic of the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And wow, I see that time is really flying as well. And so it'll be interesting uh, to see how far we get here. And in the days of these kings, uh, so that's in the days of these kings where the there was this mixing happening, and we talked about that. In the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, an eternal kingdom, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So, interestingly, it shall break in pieces, even including the very uh, kingdom of iron mixed with clay that was said, you know, in the, in the sense of the strength of iron, it was uh, said to break in pieces uh, other things. And so, no matter how strong the centralization of power in the world today seems, It is ultimately the stone cut out without hands. It is ultimately God and his kingdom that will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So do you see how the kingdom of heaven is being set up right now? For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Wow, I didn't realize how many topics were going to come up uh, as we go through these verses, and um, I didn't even actually get to start on uh, the topics that I really wanted to uh, bring forward. But I think it is important to sort of lay this foundation of uh, sort of the background, the backstory to this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, and you know to really bring in the full context of, uh, and to see how it is so relevant to the world we live in today. And, you know, I want to connect this with uh, the book of Revelation, uh, which which is something that I know others are looking at. And uh, by the way, just a shout out the, the, to, to, the, to the first uh, person to give me feedback on uh, the previous episode. And I really appreciate that. And uh, I uh, hope you will uh, enjoy this one as well. And I encourage everyone uh, who hears this to go ahead and give your feedback and uh, let me know what you think of these subjects. Is Bitcoin really um, a factor in the Bible or is it just sort of a coincidence that it seems like there's a parallel between Bitcoin and what the Bible actually prophesied? Now, so just to kind of uh, bring this together now, um, it's speaking here in this prophetic dream 
It speaks of the establishment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in, in prophetic uh, symbolism as Daniel as it was revealed to Daniel and as Daniel explained it to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it's clearly prophetic and it's even a prophecy that reaches to the end of time, to the, to the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that shall never be destroyed, unlike the kingdoms of the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But just to um, at least kind of uh, just just to state the obvious, um, you know, Revelation speaks about the end of the world and particularly about how the world comes to end in the in the symbolism of Babylon. So, um, you know, Revelation actually uses the name Babylon and there's no uh, meaningful uh, existence uh, of Babylon today, uh, the ancient city was long destroyed and, um, you know, never to be rebuilt. And so by referring to it in the book of Revelation, God is obviously using a, 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 a prophetic um, analogy to the ancient Babylon, which is what we have read about in the book of Daniel. And so that's, uh, you know, just I just wanted to put that out there to sort of emphasize the need to study the Old Testament uh, together with the New Testament. And uh, we haven't really been able to spend much time, if any, in the New Testament in this episode, but we certainly will in future episodes. And uh, I think you will find some... (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I get excited about these things because I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot. And uh, I want you to see it too. Um, It's a little bit challenging for me to bring it to you in a way that uh, little by little, step by step, you can uh, begin to appreciate, you know, the connections that are here and to do it in a way that uh, really meets the need and and not uh, just, uh, you know, throw something out there that's kind of, uh, you know, only if you're really, really diligent to study it out that you're going to uh, understand it. But I really want to break things down into into uh, concepts that are obvious and really easy to see uh, in the real world that we live in. And so I hope that this episode has done that with some, you know, understandably controversial uh, issues uh, that the world is facing today. And I just want to encourage you to to choose the ways of God. And part of that is to uh, accept Bitcoin as sort of his solution or the solution that is in agreement, in harmony with his methods, like the scattering of the power of the Tower of Babel and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. And so seeing that Bitcoin does seem to be in alignment, I believe that Christians churches need Bitcoin. And, you know, that's a subject in itself. And we'll get into that another time. But uh, all right. So, wow, I have to say this uh, episode surprised even me. I don't know how long this is going to be once it's edited down, but this was a fascinating uh, discussion. I just want to thank you for listening. And I want to encourage you to uh, go ahead and check out the article that I mentioned, Thy Kingdom Come, which actually does... uh, kind of talk about things that are very related to what we've spoken about in this podcast. And so, um, yeah, even though I didn't really get to cover some of the topics that I had in mind, uh, specifically that were, uh, um, you know, inspired by that article, we actually did uh, kind of lay a lot of the groundwork for that. So uh, go ahead and uh, head on over 
and check that out. And um, again, I'll put the link to that. So it actually speaks about this image, about the stone, and about how all these things are seen in the heavens right now, um, literally in the uh, in, in the sky. So again, I introduced that in the first episode. Check that out. And uh, like we touched on last time, Nebuchadnezzar was probably the reason he was given this dream is because he was thinking, he was, he was obviously the ruler of a kingdom and he took that role seriously and he was doing everything he could to establish a good kingdom, good in his eyes, uh, that, would, that would last forever, ultimately, that would endure forever. And that will become important uh, when we come later to the story of the three Hebrews that were thrown into the fiery furnace. Okay, because, um, yeah, I don't know if I should get into that now, but let me just let me just uh, save that for an, a future episode. Okay, because um, we're really coming up on time here. I don't want to make these too long, so I'm trying to keep it to an hour. But I do want to encourage you to subscribe, share this, and uh, keep listening. And you know, you may not agree with everything that's here, and that's okay. Um, I also don't agree in every detail with, uh, you know, what others are saying. Um, But, you know, we, in general, we recognize uh, the benefits of Bitcoin. And as Christians, we all have uh, somewhat of a common foundation um, in that we believe in uh, the Word of God and in all that it teaches, and so uh, that's we want to focus on that common ground and uh, and uh, learn from each other. Frankly, I certainly don't purport to have all the answers, and uh, you know there are a lot of nuances also to everything that is said, and sometimes things can seem to be contradictory when in reality they're not, and it's just uh, looking at things from a little different angle or. Uh, putting a little different nuance into it that kind of shows why there seem to be disagreements when there aren't always actual disagreements. And so um, so please uh, do uh, share your feedback and subscribe and share and, and uh, stay tuned for future uh, episodes where we're going to be able to dig a lot deeper. And uh, that's one thing I really want to do is sort of take the time to... Uh, delve into these subjects in the appropriate speed so that we don't just gloss over things and uh, then uh, kind of miss out on uh, sort of the richness and the, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole weight of evidence that contributes to this idea that Bitcoin really does have something to do with the Bible and, uh, in particular, with the coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. So, um, what do you think? Was this a Bitcoin sermon? I would love to hear your response. Until next time, stay sane.